You can read this stuff, you can see it on a PowerPoint slide, but until you go through the war game, in essence live it, it gets inside you. It's clearer than if you just hear about it or somebody talks to you about it. If you think about the way conflict is changing, it's not gonna be just a military-only conflict. All these lines that may have applied in the past don't apply in, in the future. So you're gonna have to have political leadership involved. You're gonna have to bleed over into the economy and civilian issues and so forth. And that makes this interaction even more. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and today Rachel Melling and I are live and on location in Washington, D.C. for Fight Night, a get-together of war gamers and war gaming. You can follow us on social media at Army Mad Sci, and don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Headlining Fight Night is the Honorable Mac Thornberry, former U.S. Representative for Texas's 13th Congressional District from 1995 to 2021, as well as the former Chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. We sat down with Mac in front of a live audience to get his views on the importance of wargaming and his experience with it as a congressional leader. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or the Training and Doctrine Command. Let's jump right into the conversation. Mac, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thanks for having me. So it's it's our pleasure to have Mac here today. We're going to talk about wargaming as this is fight night here, um, and we're going to be all, everybody's going to be out gaming tonight. So we want to talk to you a little bit about your experience in Congress and how that relates to wargaming. So the first question, as I said, you were the former chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Can you talk about your experiences on that committee and how it relates to wargaming? Yeah, the truth of the matter is we didn't do very much of it. But when we did, it made a real impact. So for example, shortly after 9-11, Secretary Rumsfeld and then Speaker Gingrich decided that members of Congress needed to uh, have some experience with wargaming with particular scenarios. So they developed one that was a biological terrorist incident inside the United States. Um, and, and it ran uh, for a while. And, and among other things, uh, it, it really brought home to me the challenges of biological weapons, but also what it took to try to deal with something that's very contagious. And I can't tell you how many times I thought back to that war game during COVID and what we were all going through. So, so and, and I, we did have a few others uh, over the years. One dealt with homeland security kind of issues and terrorism and, and, and so forth. Uh, so it didn't happen very often, but when it did, it made a real impact. So, sir, you actually just mentioned that you didn't really do a whole lot with wargaming when you were um, representative. And I was, I'm really interested in your thoughts on the previous war game that was conducted earlier this year in partnership with the Center for New American um, Security and congressional leaders. Um, so in what ways can wargaming be used as a tool for legislative leadership to understand the threat and the operational environment? Oh, I think it makes a huge difference. And I'll tell you, uh, Chairman Gallagher and his committee doing that with CNAS, I think really opened their eyes. I talked to him about it as well as other other members of, of the committee. And, and if, if I can just go ahead and say, since I've been out of Congress, 
uh, for each of the last two years, I've participated in a war game up at the Naval War College that STRATCOM has, has sponsored. Uh, and, and actually, I have reported back to the House and Senate Armed Services Committee as well as to Gallagher what I wish I had known when I was in office that I learned from that war game. And, and, and I do think you're going to see committees, uh, the relevant committees on the Hill, doing more of this. And, and there's a host of reasons I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. Part of it is, is develop the uh, intellectual capability, even in Congress, to think about these scenarios rather than just have this, this mindset. Part of it is just to understand practically what they need to do to support the military. Okay, if we uh, are in a shooting war with somebody who's got lots of bullets and we run out of bullets, we're in trouble, for example. Um, and, and so you need to go through those scenarios. And, and last thing I'll say here is you can read this stuff, you can see it on a PowerPoint slide, but until you go through the war game, uh, and, and in essence live it in, in that way. It's not the same as really living it, but you have to make a decision, then you have to deal with the consequences of it. It gets inside you. It's clearer than if you just hear about it or somebody talks to you about it. And that's why I think you will see more and more of the CNAS type war games. I'm hoping you can get uh, folks from Congress up to Naval War College, NDU, the other places to have a, a couple of days or, or, or maybe even three that you, where you can go through a series of moves and, and figure and try things and fail. I love that, that point. So you mentioned that, um, you know, getting over that initial inertia, having uh, legislators exposed to war gaming is tough. There's certain things we can do. What are some other things that, that we can maybe help Congress understand to get them more involved in war games? But what are some things that we can do on the military side as well? Well, I, let me just say two things. One is, I think part of the deal is Congress sees the, the war gaming as a thing for the military to do. And the key is help Congress understand that it helps them do their job too. And But secondly, both sides, the military and political elected leadership, as well as folks in DOD, need to understand that when push comes to shove, they're all going to have to do this together. And, and so, for example, the military, I think, at, it, it doesn't apply so much at, at the tactical level. But when you get up at the strategic level, you've got to have the political folks involved with the military folks in making decisions. And, and I can tell you, just based, again, on my experience the last couple of years, as a political person, they were frustrated with me part of the time um, and because I didn't do uh, everything the military uh, advisors recommended. But it's that interaction that helps it be more realistic but also broaden your thinking. Okay, if that's not going to work, we have to try something else. So it's that interaction of having the uh, uh, political leadership with the military that I think is one of the things that is particularly useful, especially if you think about the way conflict is changing, it's not going to be just a military-only conflict. You, it, all these lines that uh, may have applied in the past don't apply in, in the future. So you're going to have to have political leadership involved. You're going to have to bleed over into the economy and civilian issues and so forth. And that makes this interaction even more important. So let's talk defense policy now. So 
obviously we do these war games to get some kind of a result out of them, to go over some set of scenarios and circumstances to see how we would react and how the enemy would react. But what about planning and readiness? Because readiness, it's one of the top priorities in the Army. Um, so how does wargaming affect that in terms of planning and readiness? Well, again, to, to my somewhat uh, pedestrian brain, I would say you go through different scenarios and you see whether or not you are ready to execute on those scenarios. Secondly, as I was mentioning, you go down one path, uh, and, and especially in a free play war game, um, you find out that you may not be able to execute what you thought you could. And, and that goes back to resourcing and, and, and where you decide to, uh, to, to put your, your, your money and your effort as far as what you are prepared to do. We, you know, as good as we are, we can't prepare to do everything. And so, in my mind, wargaming helps explore various scenarios so that you can be ready for uh, a number of them, or certainly the most likely of them. Yeah, sir, can you elaborate a little bit more about your thoughts on conducting joint war games with the DOD and congressional leaders um, and some of the benefits that that could propose and maybe some of the challenges. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye, so um, I think there may be some benefits and challenges to that, but can you talk about maybe conducting some joint war games in the future? Yeah, well, I'd just say the obvious point is uh, under the Constitution, it's Congress's responsibility to provide and maintain for the military forces of the United States. And sometimes, you know, folks at the Pentagon are kind of frustrated by that. Uh, I'm about to be frustrated by it if uh, they don't get their funding done on time. But, uh, but, but it's Congress who decides what we buy, how much, how many people we have, all of those decisions. Um, and, and so to have the people who provide the resources working hand in hand with the people who have to actually carry out the operations, confronting the problems together at the same time, having that back and forth that you have to have will, I believe, be useful to both sides. But I guarantee it'll be helpful for Congress to, uh, to understand the consequences of their action or inaction and to have to then deal with the consequences of that. Uh, you know, normally, and I can say this, Congress will pass a bill and then go on to the next. But if you've got to live with the consequences of what you do and then take the next step and the next step, it really uh, not only opens your eyes, but it, it, it now I'm having trouble expressing what I mean. It, you feel it at a deeper level uh, if, if you know that you didn't provide what they needed and, and men and women, you know, are put into harm's way unnecessarily because they didn't have what they needed. It makes a difference. Absolutely. It's that experience. You learn more from yeah, that experience. Yeah, yeah. It gets deeper. Mm -hmm. So, sir, you mentioned uh, really any future conflict we we see ourselves in, it's, it's not going to be solely military. Um, there's going to be lead up. There's going to be political aspects that are a precursor to any type of action that we take or that uh, an adversary may take. So I think it's really important and interesting to have congressional leaders involved in those initial stages because I feel like a lot of war games, we, you know, it's all about bullets flying and that is the important and that's what everyone wants to get to. So can you talk a little bit more about how congressional leaders can really insert themselves in the in the beginning and maybe that lead up to when bullets start flying 
Yeah, I, I would even broaden it beyond that. And I can't talk too much about it because this, this thing I keep referring to up at the Naval War College was a classified thing. But there were a number of executive departments who were, that were represented. Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, State Department, the Department of the Treasury. Right, I it's mean, not just congressional it, leaders. It, it, it's so DOD, so it's, it's, that's, yep. I guess that's part of my point. It, we're, we're not going to have just an isolated uh, military-only sort of encounter. You're going to have these other departments that are involved in, for example, Homeland Security and cyber is... Yep. You know, it's going to be part of anything. And and Congress will have a role, too, uh, probably not as much, as you said, when the bullets start flying, but in the preparation. What do right. you what kind of bullets do you have? How many do you have? That's a, that's up to Congress. Mm-hmm. And and so the more we can have uh, and the, also the, deterrence as well and, and deterrence. Exa- exactly right. Um, which which is a great point. Uh Having everybody more on the same page all along can help deter adversaries from taking aggression. On the other hand, not to depress everybody, but if it looks like our government is dysfunctional, what does that do for adversaries and what they think they can take advantage of? Uh, So there are much bigger consequences here. Uh, than 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 sometimes we think. One one other point about that: trying out things in a war game scenario, where the adversaries can't necessarily see what you're trying out, also has benefits. Once you're out in the middle of the Pacific uh, doing exercises where everybody can see, then you are to a certain extent exposing. Uh, what, what you're thinking about. But when you can do it in this sort of environment, on a computer, in a, in a protected way, you can try things out and they don't see what you're trying out. And that has a benefit too, especially these days. Right. You can make mistakes and you can yeah. try different alternatives. And you can keep stuff se- more secret than exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to double down on my Hoover Institution uh, question. We're going to go back to it because I, I you, you were about to answer it and I kind of jumped in and um, can you tell us a little bit about what you discovered there, what, what that war game, um, Wargaming and Crisis Simulation Initiative is and what you found? Well, I, I think it's incredibly encouraging to me. You see uh, something like the Hoover Institution at, at Stanford develop this whole wargaming center. And so basically, that's at, at their opening, that's what I said. I think we need more of this. We need more of it from academic institutions, think tanks like CNIS and CSIS, for example. We need more of it within the government and outside the government. We face a time when there are more complex national security challenges than anybody has ever faced. And and so the importance of developing the intellectual capital, of exploring options, of of all of the benefits that come with wargaming uh, is 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 more crucial now than it's ever been. So I think this I, I'm and, and AI I think can help us D- develop even more sophisticated sorts of, of war games in some scenarios. So this proliferation of war gaming is a really good thing for the country, um, in in my view. La- last, I'm in the middle of reading a book uh, written by a history professor uh, from France who fought in World War One, went back to teaching history, enlisted it once World War II started out. You know, uh, they lost, or they gave up. He, he was evacuated at Dunkirk, 
came back, joined the French resistance, and, and died. It was killed by the Nazis. But three months after the fall of France, he wrote this little book called Strange Defeat, which is what I'm reading right now, uh, about why they lost so fast. And you know what he said? It's because they were so sluggish in their thinking, they couldn't recognize what was happening to them. Now, sluggish thinking causes you to lose wars, and worse, wargaming is one antidote, in my view, to sluggish thinking. That's a great, that's a great way to sort of end our, our big questions here before we get into one last one that I have. But I think the whole reason that we're here and the audience is here is to play these war games and expand their thinking and learn new ways of thinking that they may not have come to had they not been sitting down with people and, and playing these scenarios out. So I do want to ask you one last question. This is the, the last question we ask all of our guests on our podcast. Usually the toughest one. It's a little bit of a curveball. You said we could go off script. What's your favorite movie and why? Okay, this is really hard. Because mm-hmm. uh, there are some movies, I, you know, and they're going to be predictable that I've watched over and over again, like some of the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. But I love the Matrix series. Oh. Partly, partly because uh, it, it's... Uh, what you think you're dealing with is not what you're dealing with. And um, for, so for tonight, that's my favorite series. I like it. I like it. That's one of my top two. What do you think about The Matrix, Rachel? I, I am a Keanu Reeves fan. So. Okay, good. <laughs> my favorite movie is The Replacements, which he's making. That's, so. yeah, that's a reason. That's perfect. All right. Well, sir, we want to thank you so much for talking to us today and doing it here at Fight Night. Um, this is an awesome event. Um, we're glad to be part of it as Army Mad Scientists here. We're glad to do this, this live podcast here. But, sir, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and setting off Fight Night tonight with this awesome podcast. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you all for what you're doing. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, the Honorable Mac Thornberry. You can keep up to date with all things MadSci by following us on social media at ArmyMadSci or visiting the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience. 